Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Joan Esposito's show. I am Tory Ryder in for Joan today and tomorrow. Good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me back again. Joan is expected back on Monday. So she gets a little bit of a long weekend and we get to spend some time together. How is your parking situation? How's that going? 200. I should not laugh. This has happened. If it's happened to you, you know it is it is a serious thing. Chicago started doing winter towing. They just started it this morning. 242 drivers walked outside with their keys in their hands and found an empty spot where they had left their car or their work truck. One gentleman interviewed in the Sun-Times said, I thought that my truck and all my tools were gone. Can you imagine? He's a carpenter. Let's hope he's not a carpenter with a heart condition. That would have put him in for a long time. But this is one of the ways that the city of Chicago just fleeces working people. Just fleeces them. There's no reason... There's just no reason why you need to, when there's no snow and there's no danger of snow, you don't need to be towing people's cars away and making them spend hundreds of dollars and be late to work and jeopardize. And where is the mayor who's supposedly all in for the working people of Chicago? Have they ever heard of a warning? I mean, even even on their worst days, if you're lucky and CPD or any of the suburban cops pull you over, we, we all pray for this sentence. I'm going to let you off with a warning this time. That's what's known as the best possible outcome when I get pulled over. And by the way, the older I get, the less I hear it. The cute factor not working anymore. Used to be you just kind of look at them and they'd look at you and... Youth, youth, youth got me out of more tickets, I think, than I ever deserved. And, you know, the system is not fair. The system is not equal. The system is, we all know by now, racist. But for Pete's sakes, it's what, November 29th today? The third, what, December 1st? What is it? Yeah, December 1st. And there is no snow. And you're sticking it to the poor people in Chicago. We're the working people, not even, well, they're poorer now, that's for sure. Hundreds of dollars. I just would like to know, on what planet is this necessary? You really need to balance the budget on the backs of working people who want nothing more than to come out, warm up their cars, take their kids to school, take their jobs, take their cars to work. I just don't get it. It just makes no sense. Warnings. Warnings are nice. Warnings are warm and fuzzy and soft. And then, you know, then if you leave your car out there. And one guy, he took pictures. There's not a sign on his whole block. Nowhere. 
And if the city is going to be so all all fired difficult about this, then let's trim some of the trees that are also covering these signs. Frankly, the only way that I would be willing to pay money to have my car towed on the first day of December when there's not a snowflake in sight was if if the mayor herself called me up and said, Tory Rider, your ticket, the money from your ticket is directly going to poison every rat in your neighborhood. If you could do that, if you could do that, if it, what, a buck a rat, I would pay. I would gladly pay. <clears throat> Just saying. Has this happened to you? Have you had to beg for your car, your car's life from the city of Chicago? By the way, there is no... I shouldn't say it's completely impossible. In all the years that I lived and worked and drove in Chicago, often overnights, often I'd come home on a Saturday night shift. There was no parking for a mile and a half of my building. You'd be walking and not always, you know, I lived in some sketchy areas because, you know, because I do that. And there was a period of time where I just went out ah, of the heck with it and parked in my alley and got a ticket, which in those days, you really realistically didn't even have a boot in those days. I'm, I'm old. And so you'd, you'd pile up the tickets. And I think when I moved from Chicago, the first time I had a going away party and I wrote the invites on all my Chicago parking tickets for blocking the alley on Sunday morning, which is a bad thing to admit to, but I did it. But now, of course, they really are. They will boot you. They will tell you, and once your Chicago car goes into the Chicago impound lot, you stand a better chance of being chosen Pope than getting your car out of that impound lot without paying. It does not happen. Phone number here, 763-WCPT in the 773 area code. If you have had an experience or if you've got a thought on what this actually is, this kind of, you know, we've had, we've all heard the red light cameras. Um, they're in the burbs, too, in some burbs. If if you have experienced this, you know, we're, we're just going to fix our budget by sticking it to people and wrecking their quality of life until they give up and leave town altogether. I would love to hear from you. 773-763-WCPT. That's 9278. You can text us at that very same number. That will get you in. Coming up this hour, um, we're going we're gonna, to um, check in about the railroad strike or lack thereof. It's, uh, it's been discussed amongst the halls of Congress today. If you have not been following it... Um, and if you think that it doesn't matter, I invite you to take a little drive over by O'Hare or on the south side by Midway and just look at how much rail traffic comes through the city of Chicago. And now ask yourself, what if it all stops? And we'll be talking about that with somebody who's covering the story for the Associated Press, who's got a pretty good handle on what's happening and why. Uh, also coming up today, um, if you if you have uh, been following the, the, the happy news that Stuart Rhodes, Mr. Oathkeeper, uh, was found guilty of seditious conspiracy and uh, his lawyer is in trouble too, we'll be talking about attorney-client privilege with someone who knows a lot about it. Our usual visit, or I should say Joan Esposito's usual visit with Eric Zorn, will take place.
other interesting Illinois news. Uh, we're working on an assault weapons change in legislation in Springfield. I usually, you know, I usually do not talk about gun policy because usually nobody changes their mind until they're shot or until somebody they know does some shooting. But I'm actually thinking that uh, people may be changing their minds about where they were versus where they are now. So if you've changed your views on gun policy, not if you're just where you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, if you've changed your views, I'd be curious to know if that theory holds, why you changed it. Let's go to, I'm going to poke this button right here, the green one, right? All right. Maria, welcome. You're on Joan Esposito's show with me, Turi Ryder. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you for uh, taking my call. Um, I have to chuckle because I'm a longtime Chicagoan, born and raised, and I've been very lucky that I've never had my car towed. That would have made me cry. (laughs) Yes, yes, it would. (laughs) It would have made me cry. But I've had tickets for um, those, you know, those lights. Oh, I get those. I think I get about one a month of those. I have two, which irritates the hell out of me because there might be a two-block uh, area where it's 20 miles an hour and then everything else is 30. So, I mean, seriously, give us an advance notice that it's going to be 20 miles an hour, two blocks ahead of us, right? Yeah. So I've gotten tickets for that. I, I usually get it for for turning left when the Arab when it's a yellow arrow or I'm oh. in that intersection and I'm like I don't know I can slam on the brakes and kill everybody behind me or I can just go on through and here's the thing don't you Maria feel like you, you are being used for a particular when you get that ticket don't you just think okay what would the city of Chicago like me to pay for today. Right. I feel used. Yes. That's all I can say, because as a single person, I pay taxes through the nose, okay? So, I mean, to have them take money because I went one mile over, what is it now? Six, it used to be 11 or something like that? It's absurd is what it is. It's absolutely absurd. These poor people who went out, you know, it it is no more, you don't need your car off the street for snow plowing today. You don't need it. No. No, and and it, this is where somebody's going to, in the same way that we have tossed mayors in Chicago for not plowing snow, I think it's important that we start considering whether or not we want to support mayors who are overcharging people for not plowing snow when there is no snow. Yeah, they need to go after the, the, the people who make tons of money and get them to pay their taxes. That would be a good one. I, I would I would support that. Thanks for calling, Maria. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. One more thing, one more thing about I bought a, a ticket for parking. Yeah. Street, yeah. street cleaning. Hmm? I was in a hospital. I had to justify myself. How the hell can I move my car when I'm in a hospital? And then they said, well, you had advanced notice. No, I didn't. I was in the hospital for four days. Yeah, I think you'd have to bring them your medical bill. That might work. Okay, thanks, Maria. I appreciate the call. I am having... I I poked this button on this con- console, Pedalia, Lady B. I poked this bo- thing so hard. 
<laughs> knocked the console across the desk here. I, I'm um, I'm learning. Just training wheels. I don't think you're allowed to put your training wheels on when it's a snowplow day either. I think those have to come off. Anyway, so uh, other stuff coming up today. Um, I, I don't know. Have you had a chance to laugh really hard at all the people who bought crypto today? I will tell you, and, and feel free if you want to tell me I'm wrong. I have been watching the collapse of crypto with joy in my heart because finally people who looked at this and went, this makes no sense. This does not. And then the, the smarties from MIT and stuff, they're going, no, no, you're just too stupid to understand the kind of sense that it makes. Allow us to explain it to you. And no matter how many times, and I was living in the Bay Area when Bitcoin started. I was living there and all over the the chat rooms and the and the the radio broadcasts people were trying to explain why it was really good to pay a lot of money for a unique string of numbers and i would listen to this and i'd think to myself i suppose if you want to do something illegal like sell drugs maybe i don't know but it would you know how we learned about money and finance when you were a kid, you got an allowance. If you saved your allowance, you could take your coins down to the corner store and you could buy one of those, like, you know, candy cig- gum cigarette things that are completely politically incorrect now or a baby Ruth or whatever. Or you could save, save, save your money and get the dress for your doll or the Hot Wheels toy that you liked. And then the the crypto people showed up and said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You give some money. We give you some numbers. And eventually you'll be able to go to the store and spend them on a Hot Wheels toy. But not right now. The only thing I regret about crypto is that I didn't have one enough BS Bitcoin when Elon Musk was taking those things for Teslas for about five minutes. So I've been watching the collapse of this, and I watched the interview with Sam Bankman-Fried, obviously one of those young people whose parents never, ever, ever broke it to him that he wasn't always, always, always going to be the very smartest kid in the room. Nobody. I mean, his poor parents, they must be mortified, absolutely mortified, because I have kids, and if my kids grew up to, to fleece fleece people out of their life savings like that. On the other hand, I I don't know who to feel worse for. And I don't know if it's legit. Do you think it's legit to be going, ha, 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 you took all your money and you bought these things that make no sense. Ha, ha, now it turns out they make no sense. Ha, 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 ha. Is that mean of me to, would you be a mean person if, You've been told you're a moron for not understanding crypto for years, and now finally it turns out you're a fairly acute, astute, sensible individual. Just curious. 773-763-WCPT. Let's go to, all right, I'm going to try to poke this button, Lady B, without knocking it across the room. Here I go. I'm poking. Nope. Yes. Hey, Valerie, welcome. You're on WCPT. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I, I listened, and I'm glad that you took my call. Um, I hit a nerve when you were talking about red lights and 
and these cameras. I I live 60 miles west of Chicago, and my daughter lives on Ashland and had twin babies, so I would go in there quite often, and I would drive on Lawrence, and they were having construction, and there was a crane and these big cement markers that were blocking the 20-mile-an-hour speed limit by a uh-huh. or something, and I got a ticket. And I paid it, and but I said, you know, I did not know that that was a speed zone. Um, <laughs> and I took a picture and showed them. Oh, you're, you know, ignorance is not the law. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care. Have, no. Did you go to a real court or one of these fake Dunkin' Donuts courts in a corner shopping mall? I didn't. I I just sent in a letter because you know I'm 60 miles away, and I just. Yeah, it's not worth your time. Let me tell you what they do now, Valerie. Let me tell you how this works. There's not actually a real judge in a real court. I mean, I guess maybe it's a real judge. But they kind of, you know, those pop-up stores where you buy a Halloween costume in some godforsaken corner mall that nobody wants to go to? They rented out a bunch of these, and they've made them satellite courtrooms. And in these courtrooms, in each one of these, is a man or a woman who just says, no all day long no to you and no to you and no 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 to you and yeah that's what they that's a i would in a weird way that sounds like either the best job in the world or the worst job in the world right it's certainly not a hard job no no well my my story didn't end there but oh please let's hear what happened next so i knew that that i knew that area was watched you know by the Cameras, so I was always very careful. And my daughter had another baby this last year. And Congratulations! I, thank you. And and um, I I was very careful, and I saw the light from the camera go off, and a car coming the other way. I could hear it, you know. So I laughed. I thought, "Ha ha, sucker! You got the you got the ticket. I got the ticket." No, they sent it to you. Oh, that's yeah. awful. Yeah. Awful. And a week later, I went in there again, and I got another ticket. Oh, no. You're going to have to do what I did and have a party and send those tickets. I'm out of time, Valerie. Thank you, know you so much for calling. I appreciate it. We are going to take more of your calls, and we're going to find out about the railroad strike, the latest, coming up. 773-763-WCPT. It's Joan Esposito's show. This is Chicago's Progressive Talk. Tonight on Democracy Now! First time in nearly 30 years, a federal jury convicted two defendants of seditious conspiracy, the crime of conspiring to overthrow the U.S. government. We'll get an update. Then, what are Democrats trying to pass in the lame duck session of Congress before losing their majority in the House? We'll speak with American Prospect Editor David Diane. All those stories and more tonight at 11 on WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Joan Esposito's show. I am Tori with you, writer like the truck, in for Joan today, tomorrow. You can follow me on Twitter at Tori Writer. If you want to tweet at us during the show, use our phone number. It's here for you, 773-763-WCPT. We're talking a little bit about how sorry you feel for the crypto people. Um, let's begin again with David in Chicago. Hey, David, welcome. 
Hi, uh, good afternoon. I uh, don't normally catch you on the radio. I'm more of a Hartman guy, but something you said rang true. Um, I come from a part of the world where, you know, the cartels operate freely. And yes, you were absolutely right. If one wanted to commit a crime and hide the profit, uh, one would invest in crypto or accept payment in crypto. Yes. Well, that this element lost uh, many billions of dollars for many, many clients kind of paints a target on his back, and I'm not sure if he's aware or concerned about this. I certainly would be. Um, you know, I think he lost uh, a lot of currency for a lot of um, persons that don't have any scruples. Ooh, about, uh, that's an interesting observation. And in all the media I've consumed, David, I have not seen that angle. So good observation and interesting thought. He did indicate in his New York Times interview that um, some money had been moved that he knew about and then something like $400 million worth of crypto, which for all I know today is worth 25 cents. But at the time, $400 million worth of crypto uh, disappeared and he's not sure where. Well, one can venture to guess. And uh, again, the nature of that currency is is that it, it exists because it cannot be uh, completely uh, tracked as other currencies can, and uh, you know, for that reason, I you know, I've always told people I I'm ex-military and then I served in the private sector of law enforcement. Corporate assassination is real threat. Well, they just, I mean, I I know that political assassination, Russia is expert at, and there were just two mysterious deaths in uh, Belarus the other day, Um, one that may or may not have been poisoning. Actually, I don't know if they've succumbed. They, They have been taken down and I should check and see if they survived or not but there were some mysterious so so if it can happen for political reasons which we know Russia does in the has done in the UK um and who knows what the oligarchs put their money in I mean I'm just kind of waltzing down that what if path with you it's a scary what if path David I stress you know I myself I'm from Chicago I survived uh an assassination attempt uh in 21 and in 22. So anybody, uh, you know, anybody can be a target at any time. But specifically, when you go into business for these people who, you know, essentially cannot function or operate in other ways other than to avail themselves of your service, you really put yourself in a in a spotlight. And when uh, that that is saying, that right there is a brilliant observation. And we're going to leave it right there, David. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. We are going to check in to get the latest on the railroad strike any minute now in uh, seconds on the Joan Esposito show on WCPT. Your lawn drive home just got even easier. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now weeknights from 5 to 7 p.m. on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Joan's show. I am Tory Ryder in for Joan Esposito. If you've been keeping track, we may or may not, and there may be new developments in the potential for a railroad strike. To sort it all out with us is Associated Press business reporter um, 
and he really kindly consult, consented to join us in, in the middle of all of this. He must be like running like mad. Josh Funk is a business writer who covers the Union Pacific Railroad, specializes in Midwest reporting. He's been on this story. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on WCPT. Um, how has it been for you today? Are you in D.C.? Are you in uh, the Midwest? Where are you right now? I'm based in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, as a Kansan for many years, I appreciate the the land of big skies, open skies. So you're in Nebraska, and you're following the rail strike. And what's the news of the day today? Well, at this moment, this afternoon, the U.S. Senate is voting whether to block the strike and um, impose contract terms that were agreed to back in September. Uh, they're in the process of taking several votes related to that, and uh, we haven't seen the outcome yet. We should shortly, they're going to block the strike. And if we look at that, the bill would have President Biden to sign. We're, we're having a little trouble with your line, Josh. Um, can we reconnect with you? You're cutting in and out. I don't know where exactly you are, but we're going to try and reach you back because we want to hear every word you have to say. Lady B, will you handle that? I want to point out, and I will... Um, I will talk about this with Josh. Also, this very interesting piece in the Intelligencer, which is uh, a feature of New York Magazine, about what the big um, controversy is about sick days and time off, which is what it's come down to. Um, have we got Josh back again? Okay, let's let's try. You want to bring him up, or you want me to do it? I'll do it. Okay. Hey. Welcome back again. Let's see if it goes better this time. Can you tell us um, what is this this whole war over sick days and time off? What What's going on there? It seems like a no-brainer that you would want people not to have to come into work if they're sick. What What is the railroad's position on this and why? Well, well this time around, the railroads and the unions have been negotiating for three years at this point. Um and of course, there's a lot of issues in any contract negotiation, wages and health care. But uh, this fall, the quality of life concerns and concerns about time off have really been central to this and have driven a lot of the holdup. They've been the key sticking point. Um, as far as why the, the railroads don't want to give sick time, what, what they say is that uh, over time, the unions have agreed to forego paid sick time in order to get uh, higher wages and some strong short-term disability benefits. But, of course, those short-term disability benefits don't kick in until uh, at least four days after the fact. So they help with longer-term illnesses, but they don't do much for routine sicknesses and, and flu bugs and stuff that we all get. So by now, we've all read a couple of reports of people who put off visit to their doctors and were st- Struck with heart attacks or infections that then required surgery. I mean, those are the the narratives that are coming down the pike. When I read uh, one piece about the strike, um, they they explained it as it's easier for the owners to give raises now because there are so many fewer people because they've made the trains so much longer that they have fewer people and they have a philosophy that a a business strategy for doing this. Could you speak to that at all? Well, the the major railroads have made a a lot of changes over the last five, six years. They've overhauled their operations to run with longer trains and fewer trains and try and run them on a more set schedule. And then as part of that, 
they're using fewer locomotives and they've cut nearly a third of the jobs across the railroad. Wow. A third. I mean, I would just like to take a moment to let that sink in. A third of the workforce is gone. So if that were the case, it would be easier to pay somebody more money because you've got so many fewer somebodies. But if you have somebody who doesn't show up because he or she is ill, how much does that cost if a train doesn't move on time? I mean, potentially. What what are the I mean, how how much we keep hearing this number of two billion dollars a day if all the trains stop moving? Are you hearing that number too? That's an estimate that the the railroads themselves came out with earlier this fall when they were trying to estimate the impact of a strike. Um, and, and certainly everybody agrees that a railroad strike would have a huge impact on the economy. There's just there's so many businesses that rely on railroads to bring them the raw materials they need to make things and also to deliver their finished products. So if the railroads stop moving, uh, there's a lot of other businesses that uh, might have to stop manufacturing things if they can't get what they need from the railroads. So is the problem, let's say that I am an, an engineer and I feel that my heart is being beating irregularly and I need to go immediately to see my doctor. What do, what do I do? Do I, who do I call in and do they have, I guess, with 30 percent fewer people, I guess there are fewer people that can call to sub in for me. Is that part of the problem? Well, certainly the the workers in the union say that uh, they're spread a lot more thin than they used to be. Um, One of the issues is that uh, a couple of the biggest railroads, BNSF and Union Pacific, have put in some really strict attendance policies that uh, I know the workers say makes it hard for them to take a day off for any reason. Um, These systems give workers a certain number of points, and then anytime they miss a day of work, they lose a certain number of points and if they lose all their points, then they could be disciplined or fired. And it doesn't matter why you lose these points. It doesn't matter if you ended up in the hospital with your with a heart attack. That's the same as if you, you know, had a wild night bachelor party and didn't show up. The railroad recognizes no difference. Is that accurate? I'm not sure how they handle every case, but uh, I think the unions have given examples in the past of people who were penalized when they were hospitalized. Um, and, and so that's something they, they negotiated, actually, as um, part of these agreements back in September. The railroads did promise not to penalize people when they were hospitalized. And they also offered to give engineers and conductors three unpaid days off a year to tend to medical things, like to get a physical or get a checkup at the dentist. But with those days, they have to schedule them 30 days in advance and do it on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So oh, there's, there's wow. limits to it, but... These deals this fall do offer a couple small things that help in that regard. Wow. That's really, um, I mean, it's it's something, but I don't know too many people who can plan 30 days ahead. You know, an elective surgery, maybe. You know, you want to have your hip replaced, maybe. But if you're really sick, if something goes wrong, that's not something you can realistically do. So if you can hang with us for a moment, I would like you to 
explain, because I know you're the expert and know all about it, which unions are okay with the contract and which unions have said, no, we, we reject this and what their reasons are for doing it. Also, what politicians who campaign on being very labor friendly are going to do um, if this thing um, is is forced upon the unions. So those are those are the things I'm going to ask you about next. If you can hang on, you're listening to WCPT. It's Joan Esposito's show, and if you have uh, questions, I'm going to ask uh, if Josh would take a couple of those seven seven three seven six three WCPT. It's Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tori Ryder on Chicago's Progressive Talk. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tori Ryder, and we're talking a little bit about the potential railroad strike, which is now being batted around in the halls of Congress. And with me is Josh Funk. He's the Associated Press business writer covering um, this, at least one of the ones who was covering this. He covers the railway from Nebraska. That's where we've got him on the line. Josh, thanks for holding on. Um, I understand that the power to impose these contracts um, dates back to 1926. Is that accurate? That all this time I thought it was just management and labor, but there's always been this wild card? Well, there's a law that was passed in 1926 that relates to railroad contract talks and I think it also applies to airline talk, then it sets the limits that makes it hard for workers to go on strike because uh, Congress and the government were concerned about uh, what that might mean for interstate commerce and business. So this Railway Labor Act does set out some specific rules for that rail rail unions have to follow in contract talks. Oh, that see, this is all... Most of us have just been hearing little snippets about the story and all that many people think about as, well, I guess I won't get the part for my oven that's on the blink. But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, tell me a little bit about the unions that accepted the uh, proposed contract versus the unions who voted it down. And what is the anticipated scenario for labor-friendly Democrats if the Biden administration um kind of and Congress uh, move ahead and essentially force, would you say that's an accurate term, force the unions to accept the the deal that was uh, laid out before? Well, there are 12 unions that are involved in the contract talks across all these railroads. Uh, Eight of the unions uh, approved these contracts and four of them voted to reject them. Uh, It really goes across all the different jobs in the railroad. Two of the biggest unions, the Smart TD union that represents conductors and the BMWED union that represents the track maintenance workers were a couple of the ones that rejected the deals. Um, these votes were all pretty close, but uh, clearly there's a lot of workers out there who are concerned about you know, quality of life concerns and working conditions and schedules out there on the railroad. Yeah, well, it affects, I suppose, whether you're in one spot or, well, I mean, let let me ask you this from a position of relative ignorance. The track maintenance people, are they based in a particular place usually, or do they move around more than they are stationary? Um, it's a mix. Some of those guys are in a certain location. 
but a lot of them get sent out on the road to do a project or make repairs or install some new track in a section. So, so they actually have to go out on the road to do the, that work. So if so, back to the original difficulty, if they feel sick or, you know, catch COVID or feel, you know, faint in the heart or see double, they're stuck possibly hundreds of miles from home. And if they decide that they need to go to a doctor, they are in trouble, essentially. They lose money or the point system you said doesn't penalize them now. None of them get penalized for going out for medical care. I, the way it stands today, these workers still are getting penalized for missing work for almost any reason. There are some changes that were discussed in these negotiations, but uh, until we get all these deals in place, um, you know, it's not clear how that's going to play out. Wow. Well, I'm not going to ask you to take a position on any of this because you're reporting neutrally. But I have to say it flies as a human being for me. It just flies in the face of everything that is human to say to somebody, you know, it, it doesn't matter how sick you are. It doesn't matter how how dangerous it is for the work that you're doing. I mean, some of these people are working on bridges. They're working, you know, at height. They're working with dangerous equipment. We don't care. If you call in sick, you could lose your job. And that just strikes me as on its face wrong. And I'm guessing, and I bet you could speak to this, I'm guessing the people who run these railroads get to take sick days, right? I believe the management does have sick days, yes. <laughs> Shocking news. Shocking news. Um, Ron has a question, a comment on the strike. Can we, I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to try to get this screen to cooperate, Josh. It has not cooperated so far. If I hit this button, Lady B, will they be on together? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Ron in Michigan, you're on with Josh Funk and with me on Joan Esposito's show. Welcome. You had a question? Yes, Tori and Josh. Um, I have two, actually. Number one, do the railroad workers get Social Security? I knew a guy who worked for the railroad, and he said he didn't collect Social Security. Is that correct? Uh, they're under a different system. It's called the Railroad Workers Retirement Board. And so instead of contributing to Social Security, they contribute into this separate system, and they get uh, a special Railroad Workers Retirement System. And honestly, I'm not versed in all the ins and outs of that system, but I know it is uh, a separate, different system than Social Security. So it looks like your friend was telling you the truth there, Ron. You had another question? Yes, yes. And You know, with the Mississippi River dry, dried up as a bone and barge traffic cannot get down there, which is our main source of uh, moving everything in this country next to the railroad, I don't know why the uh, railroad workers and, and the barge workers, you know, haven't gotten together, you know, to explain this, or not explain it, but uh, smash it into the brains of, of our uh, our uh, political people that, you know, we are in dire straits. You know, the, we, we've cut back on railroad workers, you know, and the railroad job is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. From what I understand, you know, plus the, you know, you work, you're working around these dangerous, big, giant machines, but also the chemicals and all the fumes. 
That's a, these are all good points. Let's let's pause you there, Ron, for a minute. Um, do you know anything, Josh, about the um, types of injuries for these workers? Have they gone up? Have they gone down? Are they working safe? And uh, I'm assuming they're under the supervision of OSHA. But is that accurate? What what is what is the safety profile for these workers look like? There are several agencies that look over railroad safety, like the Federal Railroad Administration and, of course, OSHA. Um, but these are definitely uh, d- dangerous, tough jobs. Uh, these guys do a lot of hard work, and uh, as you say, they're working around the big, heavy machinery a lot of times, and they're also sometimes dealing with hazardous chemicals that the trains are hauling and uh, everything along those lines. So it's uh, definitely got some potential for injury. So let me ask you then, um Since this past few years of consolidating and and cutting 30% of the workforce, has the safety profile gotten worse? Because sitting here um, and not knowing much about it on a a boots-on-the-ground level, it would seem to me if you start cutting workers, um, at some point it's got to become less safe because you're cutting people with experience, letting them retire. You're cutting people who potentially are doing what you uh, – maintenance. Um, ha- has that affected the accident? Um, some of the statistics on that are, are a little unclear. Um, there are some other trends going on in place. Certainly railroads are, are working to cut down on accidents and, and trying to make the workplace safer. Uh, but unions and workers definitely raise concerns about uh, – they're spread much more thin these days and uh, believe there's a greater potential for accidents and injuries to happen. Um, so there's no hard data on that yet. Yeah, there's some statistics, but uh, there's several factors in play. And so um, I know on some of them, some of the numbers might actually be down. It's a question of would they be down more if they had more workers and better safety protocols in place. Uh, it's a little hard to sort out on some of the numbers. Okay, that's fair. So let me ask you your prediction on how this will play out politically. It, it seems from what I'm reading and what you're what you're saying today is that the unions will be forced to take the deal that was negotiated earlier. Does that look likely to you? And if so, what, in in your expert opinion, could be the fallout for the various participants in Washington? Well, that's what Congress is voting on right now. The Senate is voting this afternoon whether to block the strike and impose the contract that the unions agreed to back in September. Right. Um, If that measure passes, it goes to Biden's desk and he can sign it. And if that does happen, then no strike will be allowed and the workers will get, you know, what was agreed on back in September. Um, Biden himself and Speaker Pelosi and some of the Democrats have said they're, they're reluctantly doing this, but uh, they believe the, the potential harm to the economy is just too great that uh, they can't let a strike happen. So they feel a need to step in and block it at this point. And how long would this contract run before perhaps this issue came up again? How long is this contract? This is a five-year contract that's being discussed, but it's retroactive to 2020. So this current contract that's being approved and that Congress might impose right now only runs until 2025, and then they'll be negotiating another new contract. So 
these issues are definitely going to come up again here pretty quick. There'll be another round of negotiations starting in just uh, a couple of years now. How did it get to this point? How long were these negotiations going on? And what are both sides saying? I mean, I'm guessing each side says, well, I don't want to give anything and they don't want to give anything. But have you got any insight as to why it came to this place right now? This current round of negotiations started back in 2019, um, and so the the process has been going for a long time. Wow. Uh, in the middle of that, of course, we had the pandemic, and that slowed down negotiations a little bit because they weren't able to meet face-to-face there for most of a year, um, and so they say that slowed down the talks. Um, so th- this has been a, a long, drawn-out process. Uh, as part of these negotiations uh, and uh, what's gone on this year, the, these deals that they're signing on do include raises of 24% and $5,000 in bonuses. They also uh, cap the health insurance expenses that workers will have to pay at, uh, I think, 15% of the total cost is what it will be limited to. Um, and, and so there are some significant raises in these deals. But as we said, the concerns about quality of life issues and, and work schedules and, and time off have really been the key sticking points this fall. Well, it really is a real concern. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to, to speak to this. Again, you know, you're an impartial reporter, but I can tell you that I've worked places myself that have been so dangerous to me. I, I worked for one place. It was a country station years ago. They would send me into bars by myself at the age of like 21 um, to hand out free beer to <clears throat> there's no polite way to refer to these guys. And I nearly lost my life a few times or, you know, was assaulted or I mean, thank God the one of the guys who worked at the station knew that I was in trouble and would show up and kind of block the door so I could get out of there. And I would complain to the management and they would be like, hey, if you don't want to do it, you've lost your job. And at a certain point, you come to a place where you think, no job is worth this. This could kill me. And no matter how highly paid you may be, and it was the best paying job I'd ever had. So I can understand that these, I gather most of the members of these unions are male. Is that is that accurate? Most of them are men? There's certainly women that work on the railroad, but uh, I suspect the majority are men. Yeah, I, I, the men and the women who work on the railroad, at a certain point, they're, they really you know, have to decide, do they want to risk their lives for a very nice paycheck? And it's got to be a really, really hard thing to work through. And I'm, I'm guessing that there really are people who will risk their lives repeatedly. And then after it all is too late, we'll say, you know, I really, I should have done that differently. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to contemplate. Can you speak a little bit to, um, the rail traffic that comes through Chicago? I know that you are West of us, but, um, Who's we? I personally love to look at the trains. It makes me happy to look at the trains coming and going. And I'm always fascinated and wish I knew more about what I was seeing and where it was going. But how much rail traffic comes through Chicago? Is it still sort of the, the belly button of rail transit in this country? Or, or where do we stand here? Chicago is a major rail hub. All the uh, major railroads come together in Chicago and exchange traffic. So you have Union Pacific and BNSF, as well as Norfolk Southern, CSX, and the Canadian railroads all 
passing through and intersecting in the Chicago area and cargo that has been hauled from the West Coast to Chicago by UP or BNSF then maybe gets handed off to one of the Eastern railroads to deliver. So there's a lot of trains coming into and out of Chicago every day and cargo getting transferred from one railroad to another. It's a very busy area as far as the railroads go. They're so beautiful to look at, in my opinion, the trains. I don't know. Do you find them beautiful? That may be too personal a question, but do you like to look at them? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're gorgeous. So all of this traffic, is there any chance in in speaking with all the parties involved, is there any chance that um, Congress would pass a rule that demands that these folks sign the deal they were offered earlier? Biden signs it and and the workers just say, forget it. We're going out on strike anyhow. Is that at all a possibility? There are certainly some workers that talk about that. there's pretty high consequences for it, though, given that um, that Federal Railway Labor Act and all the rules that make it hard for workers to go on strike. I, I'm not sure what the, the consequences of it would be if they did walk out after all this. Um, like I said, there's certain talk about that, and we'll be watching closely to see if anything along those lines happens. Well, I really, really appreciate your being willing to take time in the middle of all of this, because I'm sure, is, is this about the busiest you've been in a while, or are you always in the middle like this? Seems like it's always something, but uh, with, it's definitely been a crazy fall through all these developments and contract votes and all the, the things with these negotiations. Well, I hope that you get some respite and I deeply deeply appreciate the fact that you came to us in the middle of all of this smoke and action to explain what's going on to us and I think we all know a little bit more about why things are happening the way they're happening now Josh Funk thanks so much I appreciate it yep glad I can help okay that's Josh Funk from the Associated Press he is um He is the guy covering the railroad strike or non-strike or the contract, I guess, would be more accurate. And coming up in the next hour, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Stuart Rhodes conviction and what's next. All of that on WCPT. The Rick Smith Show, live weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. What's amazing is how quickly Joe Biden has brought the world together. The Rick Smith Show on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm telling you CPT 820. It is the Joan Esposito Show. I am Tori Ryder in for Joan today and tomorrow. Joan returns Monday. Um, thanks very much to Lady B and all who are making me welcome. And a reminder to you, two hours of Patty Vasquez driving it home. That's double the Patty. Is that is that technically a double Patty? No, I'm teasing. It's a, Of course, it's not a double. It's a double Patty Vasquez. And you're going to totally want to listen to that because she's fun. And you learn something. Speaking of learning something, I have a question for you. Do you think it is possible for ancient, tottering geezers to improve their racial or religious or whatever they're bigoted or stupid about? Can can you teach these old dogs any new tricks? I am referring here 
to the story you just heard, and you've been hearing it for a couple of days, about the Queen of England's former lady-in-waiting. She's uh, 83 years old. She's resigning. According to the very polite and, as far as I can tell, enduring uh, visitor in a in a um, event about domestic violence this this woman was subjected to the kind of questioning that you think is like a a YouTube video on how racist can people be the woman in question who was in attendance for this event uh, is a black woman and uh, she was asked by Lady Susan Hussey repeatedly where she was from and when she would say I'm British this lady in waiting according to the account did not back down she, no no really no where, where are you really where are your people from where 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 are your people from and she'd say we're, we're British and then finally this woman Lady, whatever she is, Hussy. I, th- I think it's a great name, by the way, Lady Hussy. Kind of a walking contradiction in terms, isn't it, Lady Hussy? Anyway, she she finally pinned this woman, or made her so uncomfortable, or just the woman just kind of gave up fighting and said, "Well, my parents came here from, I forget where she mentioned they came from," and um, the then the. 83-year-old geezer said, oh, well, now we've come to it. Oh, now, now, I, now we've come to it eventually. And I, I'd like to, and, and I was reading this on Twitter. I read the thread of the woman who was assaulted verbally by this lady-in-waiting. That's what I would term it, a verbal assault. But there were all kinds of people who replied, oh, great, you got an 83-year-old woman fired, nice one. And I was all ready to condemn all of these people. And then I remembered certain old people I've come across who are just not, they don't, they don't budge from where they were raised. Now, I would say it's obligatory for everybody, everybody to educate themselves, improve, learn to make people welcome. But I'm wondering, do you have anyone in your family that you just absolutely cannot modernize their view of somebody else? Do you have that grandmother where, oh, there's a little so-and-so person at the door for you? My, um, there's a family member that I have by marriage whose um, whose family came from the South. And back in the early 60s, um, his family was visiting the elder from the South. And the family had friends who were not of the same race, not white. And so when the friend came to the door to, to visit the visiting family... The grandparent, without thinking twice, said, I'm changing the names here. Marsha, there's a little girl here to see you. (laughs) Like, that's who you are. And I mean, what are you going to do when someone's 85 years old? You can scream and yell and they don't they what? What did I do wrong? What did I do? I've had people, old people say stuff to me about, um, the minority religion that I belong to. Oh, 
Oh, are your family doctors or lawyers? Oh, so you must be really good at negotiating your contract. Oh, you just, at a certain point, I give up. But I don't know if I should give up. Do you give up? Do you have anybody in your family, in your household, who's just, you know, past the point? The kind of person who would say, I don't know why they let their children dress like that. They all look like hookers. And you want to go, you know, okay, uh, this is how girls dress now. I don't understand it. I mean, if somebody comes up and gives them $40, you know, that for a lap dance, they're just going to have to say yes. I think everybody has somebody in their family who just cannot be educated. So at the same time that I think Lady Susan Hussey needed to give it up and retire, really, I mean, that realistically, if you can't modernize your speech and your view and your world perspective in your private life, I'm not willing to fight that one necessarily, but you don't get to have a job where being able to do that matters. You don't get to have a job where how you treat people based on their ethnic group or their language status or how they, what religion they practice. You don't get to have a forward facing job where you can really offend people. Like really, she had this lady, she had to really work at it too. You don't get to be the British royal equivalent of Archie Bunker in public. You want to go home and sit in your royal equivalent of whatever the royal barkle lounger looks like in the UK, your Louis XIV armchair, and sip your tea and talk about, I don't know why those people are so sensitive. If you want to do that, you don't get to do it as a job. That's my, that's kind of my dividing line on that. But I'm curious about what you think. Is it, should we just keep at these people who can't seem to modernize their world? Where are you from really, dear? That, that kind of question. Or, oh, that's so nice. So you don't have Christmas. What are you doing with that scarf around your head? Doesn't it get hot? All these questions that old people ask all the time, you can't make them stop, can you? Someone in my family actually said to my son, who has a friend of size, we're sitting around a table, and this person in my family said, oh, yes, that's right, you're friendly with, I'm making up a name here. Samantha Ruth, you're friendly with Samantha Ruth. Her parents must be so disappointed that she's so fat. Ah! Ah! You just, you don't even know what to say when somebody does that. You just, I mean, what do you do? Flip the table up like it's a bar scene in an old Western? What do you do with these people? What do you do with these people? 773-763-WCPT. Again, that number. 773-763-9278, or you can text us. Same number. I have a little screen right here. I can see your texts, and I can't screw them up the way I screw up, like pushing the buttons with the phone call. So so that's pretty good, huh? It's almost Tory-proof. 
This is WCPT, where facts matter. It is the Joan Esposito Show, and I'm Turi. That's spelled T-U-R-I, writer like the truck. And I am looking forward to hearing from you. Stephanie Miller. Trump is what also a despicable yeah. piece of. Did yes. you see him live covering his own verdict, laughing? They're going to never see the money. There's no money. <laughs> oh, they'll find money. They will. Just if you think justice dry. doesn't matter, he is done. You can garnish wages. You can go after everything now. Uh, it just because he's hiding money in a bunch of shell companies does not mean. And I know people are like, oh, he'll just you know appeal now and appeal, and this will go on forever. No, he is after. Stephanie Miller, weekday mornings, eight to eleven on WCPT eight twenty. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You are listening to the very, very beautiful, by anybody's standards, Tory Ryder and Lady B. We claim it. We own it. But what do you do with those older people like this lady, Susan Hussey, the British lady-in-waiting who just got the axe at the age of 83 for just not being able to understand that it, you don't get to ask people over and over where they're from because they're not white. When they've already, you shouldn't ask it at all, but certainly at the point where someone says, I'm British, just like you, drop it, babe. Jim, let's go to you. You have a question? Welcome to WCPT Radio. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm here. I was just going to I was just thinking about why is a human being a homo sapien attracted to physical beauty? Uh, paintings and uh, beauty of women and uh, physical uh, with men, what, what what drives us to to say that somebody's beautiful, etc., etc., etc.? Are you asking you me, think? or are you going to answer this question? Why? Why do you? Why? It's not even a culture question. It's, it's been since the beginning of the, the Homo sapiens. Apparently, oh, way before that. Have you never have you have you never been to the zoo, the, the zoo, uh, Jim, where where you can see the peacocks displaying their feathers and where you, yeah, I mean, why why would that be compared to a pigeon? It wouldn't to me. A pigeon would be just as alive as a peacock. Yeah, well, they want to strut it. They want to show it. They want to look good. What draws us to that? Are you speaking of a certain person in my family who said her parents must be so disappointed because she's fat? I got news for you. There's a whole world of guys who are really into ample women. I thank God for them. And uh, but, but anyway, here let's talk about the movies, for instance. You've got to be either handsome or, or, or a beauty to get it, to make any money in the movie. Well, again, that that's standard is changing. And by the way, this woman who was interrogated by Lady Susan Hussey is a very beautiful woman by my standards. So I don't know what to tell you. I think you need to go back, you know, review your biology textbook, Jim. This is hormones. Isn't it subjective? Isn't it subjective to the individual? If I look at a painting and you look at a painting, I can see beauty in that painting where you can see complete ugliness. Oh, can I tell you my favorite story of looking at a painting with a naked woman in it. Go ahead. Okay. I was at, of all places, the Prado in Spain. 
And they have a huge, I mean, the thing must be. I've been there. I've been there. there. Go ahead. Okay. Well, not everyone has. So there's a huge painting on one of the walls of the Venus de Milo. And she is reclining in the cosmos. And the painting is probably 25 feet long and 15 feet high. It's huge. And from her breast, in the form of what would be breast milk, springs the entire stellar array of the cosmos. So I'm looking at this painting, and my friend with me is looking at this painting, and a woman comes into the gallery with like a two-year-old, one-year-old in a stroller, and he looks at this painting, and he realizes that he's seeing a cosmic rendition of nursing and he just starts laughing pointing laughing having the best time look a giant drawing of breast milk and i think it brought the whole gallery together in that moment and it was hilarious so i'm now sharing with you a non-traditional standard of beauty that nevertheless has its uses thank you so much for calling i appreciate it it was good good to talk to you um I don't know, how did we get off into the... Oh, I guess it was the family member who said, oh, her parents must be so disappointed she's fat. Do you have that family member who just can be counted upon to say the totally incorrect thing? Your own Lady Susan Hussey. If you have your own Lady Susan Hussey, how do you deal... Your own Archie Bunker. How do you deal with him or with her? Is there a point where you just give up? Do you try to keep this person away from other people? Do you explain to your friend who's coming over, okay, we're, we're going to walk right through the living room. We're going to grab a snack. We're going to go right outside to the backyard where you don't have to listen to crazy Uncle Siegfried talk about his theories about people who come here for other places from other places and don't speak English. We're just going to we're just going to go out here. I'm sorry about Uncle Siegfried. He's had a hard life and he's not going to change now. What do you what do you do with those people? And by the way, there was a I was really were you astonished at the number of people in the Twitterverse who stuck up for Lady Susan Hussey because she's old? Were you at all surprised? I I was really very shocked at the number of people who who went after Ngozi Fulani, which is the name of this absolutely exquisite woman, who was asked repeatedly where she was from when she was at an official function. Let's go to Paul in Seattle. Hi, Paul. Welcome to WCPT. Nice to hear from you. Hi, Terry. Uh, I was just going to reply to, uh, I guess it was Jim. There are no paintings of skinny women. There aren't any paintings of skinny women. Oh, that's not true. That's not true. Modigliani was big on skinny women. Really? Yeah. Sorry. Skinny You're busted. Girl. No. They were they were unnaturally tall and stringy. I think the classic, the classic beauty was uh, quite Rubenesque, as they say, and not tan, because remember that. That, it was a matter of class, and if you were if you were thin and tan, that means you were a worker. You were a field worker. I think, well, I, now again, what about? Um, oh my gosh, his name has flown out of my head. Who did the beautiful drawings uh, from the islands? This is just it's going to drive me crazy. Not says not says on. It'll come to me. Um, well, but, look, at, look at the uh, look at the even Playboy models up through the sixties 
were much more buxom than what came out. Darn tootin' right. They absolutely were. Yes, they were. And even as recently as, you know, and, and again, there are businesses that know that not everybody should be like Kate Moss, Twiggy, whoever the... To me, the ultimate version of this strange view of women is now on the catwalk in the form of trans women who are six foot three and absolutely lean because their body type was originally that. And women don't usually come shaped like that. Now they're women and now there are women who are shaped like that. But the rest of us are not going to become six foot three clothes hangers. So, yeah, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Let's go to, um, oh, this should be interesting. Matt in Berwyn, is that where you're calling from? Welcome to WCPT. Hi. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, yeah, back in the um, in the 90s, I had a co-worker who was at the time in her 60s, mid-60s, and um, we had another co-worker that worked at our company that happened to be in an interracial marriage, um, and the um, my coworker leaned into me one day and said, "You know what? What word is going to come out the first time they have a fight?" Oh no! For a second, I thought about it for a second, and I was like, "You know, that word does not come out when it's not in your vocabulary." That's it's true. You start using it in certain company that you start messing up. So when you don't have that word in your vocabulary, you don't accidentally drop it. You don't use it inappropriately because you don't use it ever. Yes. And I think that is a lot of that generation is that it's okay to use certain words, be, be it that word or the, uh, the other words for other nationalities or um, religious people that um, that they're like, oh, you know, because we're all Christian here, we can talk about their that type of religion. Yeah, and yeah. That's it's like we give each other out. permission to, to be ugly behind the backs of people we would not want to be ugly yeah. to, to their faces. But as you pointed out, if you never are ugly in that way, then it just doesn't happen. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate your call. Glad to hear from you. Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about attorney-client privilege uh, the the defendant Stuart Rose is now Rhodes of the um, proud not the Proud Boys what the heck the Oath Keepers has been convicted of sedition and his lawyer is next and you would not believe the racy texts between the two of them is that attorney client privilege we'll talk about it WCPT we are Chicago's Progressive Talk. There's new information. Explosive new information. It's how every day starts. Need for information. Get the info you need from Santita Jackson. Weekday morning starting at 6 on WCPT 820. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You are listening to Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tori Ryder in for Joan. Joan will be back on Monday. Just a couple of items to um, wrap up about uh, Ms. Ngozi Fulani. She said that she she was really thinking twice about making this public because 
Uh, she didn't want it to bring any harm to the charity she runs, Sister Space. She didn't want to be perceived as having a chip on her shoulder. This is what happens when people behave this way in public to you as someone who doesn't fit their vision of what you should be like or look like. You can internalize it. It's a really, it's a really difficult thing. So, um, again, you know, I'm not sure you can change these 83 year old geezers, but, uh, at least you can keep them out of the positions where they can do some harm. Let's quickly go to Dave in a Hoffman Estates. Welcome, Dave. You're on WCPT. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. On the, um, about this, uh, with this 83-year-old, it kind of reminded me, do you recall the All in the Family show? Yeah, we mentioned Archie Bunker. We did refer to him. Did you uh, do, mention about that one show one time when Lionel was over and and Archie had something, you know, said something that was kind of repulsive and he, Lionel just played along with it and and Michael looked at him later and said, wait a minute, he said, if I said that, he would have been all over me doing what, whatever. And he said, the difference was, he doesn't know no better. There you go. Well, again, I don't think, la- I don't think Lady uh, Susan, Sarah, Hussey, whatever her first name is, I, I don't think you get that... Um, that leeway when you're in a public facing job. I think she can go home and sip tea in a very expensive teacup and insult anybody she wants who's willing to walk through her front door. I just don't think that the front door of the British royal family should be a place where she gets to behave that way. I think there's the difference. I thank you so much for being part of the show and and I hope we hear from you again one of these days. Um, We're going to be joined by one of my favorite people he happens to be a professor of, I guess, constitutional law, labor law, million kinds of law um, at University of California, Hastings, which is their San Francisco law school, highly regarded. And, um, well, I have to tell him a story first. David, welcome to WCPT. Thank you, Tori. Did I tell Did I tell you the story once of how my kid mentioned you in a college paper and the professor thought he was so impressive because he, he had been able to call you up and ask you a question? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember when I did when I helped him with research. Yeah. See? See? You're gonna help me with some research right now. Yes, you are. All right. So Pleasure. here's the thing. I have you have you been following this Stuart Rhodes trial at all? Oh, of course, of course. Who wouldn't? Yeah, it's so juicy, isn't it? It's so awful and so juicy. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you heard. Um, there was a there was a public interest research group that uh, brought his his now I guess ex wife on for a series about what kind of. This is going to make sense in a minute. What kind of a, an abusive, according to her, and controlling, according to her, and exploitive, according to her. And, I mean, he kept all the kids in the basement of some remote cabin. But meanwhile, meanwhile, while he's behaving like this towards his wife and family who escaped, he's got this lawyer where they're sexting each other back and forth. Did you did you read any of these messages? Oh, I sure did. Right. But it's a family show, so we can only refer to them obliquely. Yes. Yes. We can we can use some lovely substitute words. Um, right. Yes. Substitute words are my favorite. Um, 
let me I will bring up some of the dialogue. Pardon? Go ahead. So so they tried to say uh, that would be Stuart Rhodes and his defense team that she could not be. Uh, called, I guess, as as any kind of witness or her texts admitted to court or anything that she might have to say that that proved that he was, in fact, a seditious conspiracist, which we can now say he is, uh, because it was attorney-client privilege. But meanwhile, he's sending her texts saying, why don't you come over and I'll throw you on the bed and we will beep. And then she's saying, oh, you're such a bad boy. I Now I'm reliving my high school because I'd really love to come by the hotel room so we can beep. And the judge, the judge said, and I think quite rightly, that that's not a legal counsel. But... What exactly is the rule about what's off limits when you're somebody's lawyer? If if you're married to the person or having an affair with the person or just, you know, flirting in a very graphic and somewhat disgusting way over the phone, what, where are the dividing lines? What would the judge have been considering here? Right. Well, there's a couple issues. One issue is my understanding is that the reason this all came up is the prosecution wanted to show that their relationship was not attorney-client. Actually, Mr. Rhodes is a proud graduate of the Yale Law School. Yeah, they keep doing that, don't they, the IVs? They graduated Donald Trump from business school at Columbia. They graduated, uh, what's his name, the hillbilly elegy guy. Can you revoke, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going off, off the script here, but can you revoke somebody's law degree? Uh, it's easier to do it with honorary degrees oh. than the, than the granted degrees. But anyway, let, so but the so the issue was with with uh, Kelly Sorrell and Stuart Rhodes was whether or not they had an attorney client uh, relationship, and so the te- the sexting was designed to show that at least at that time, prior to the insurrection, prior to January sixth, that they were not in an attorney client relationship, and therefore. Whatever they had to say about planning, because uh, the conspiracy was acceptable. What was a little surprising, to be honest, was that the judge allowed those texts into evidence because, they, you know, they're salacious. And there's another rule that says that if something's something has more prejudicial effect than probative value. It should not be used. And I don't know why the judge allowed it. I think it was entirely right to say their relationship, at least prior to January 6th, was not attorney-client and it whatever they said was admissible. But those particular texts, seems to me it's titillating, but it really didn't move the ball in terms of proving the conspiracy. Well, I think that what's happening now is they're planning to charge her, Right. Yes, yes, she's under indictment. Absolutely, and, yeah, and she's she as part of the conspiracy. Right. Yeah, so go ahead. Go ahead. She's going to try and say that everything she did, um, she did as their lawyer. Right? Is is that going to be what she d- tries to use as a defense? Well, that may be part of it. Now, there's something also called the crime fraud exception, and so you can't cloak planning a crime in attorney-client privilege. And in fact, this has come up with uh, with Mr. Trump, with uh, 
Mr. Eastman, who uh, apparently helped plan the uh, the legal shenanigans around January sixth. Uh, but so you can't you can't use that as a cloak. So it may be that there are certain things that she did that will end up being protected by attorney-client privilege. But planning the insurrection, if in fact she did that, as uh, she's at least charged with obstruction of Congress, uh, then she won't be able to cloak that in attorney-client privilege. So because if that were proven that she helped plan the insurrection on January 6th, they would prove that she was encouraging her client to do something illegal and then she would lose her privilege. Um, yes, that's right. That's right. In terms of those communications, that's right. I mean, you're, as an attorney, you are not privileged to commit a crime. You're not privileged to plan a crime. Uh, you're not privileged to advise somebody how to uh, successfully do a crime. Uh, so so that that material, if it exists, would be admissible against her, just as some of this was admissible against Mr. Rhodes. Can you do some of this weird kind of Tucker Carlson-esque thing where you go, well, I would never advise you to do this, but if you were going to do this, does that give you any kind of protection like i would never ever ever advise you to take that house plant drop it out of the window you might hit somebody but if you were going to take a house plant and throw it out the window on purpose to hurt somebody you'd want to do it from at least the fifth floor and you'd want to do it on a day when there's no wind and you'd want to do it when nobody's cat is outside i mean if you did that where does that come down well, it, it, I guess it comes down on the side of legal advice, uh, which would be uh, and be and lawyers legitimately provide legal advice all the time. For example, tax advice. Uh, you know, if you structure this transaction in a particular way, it is legal under the tax code. But if you structure it in this other way, it's not legal. And small differences can mean that a transaction is legal or illegal. And if you, you want to follow the advice with care. So, you know, your hypothetical, uh, you could, you know, you could write a lawyer's letter saying, look, if, uh, the law requires that you do A, B, C, D, and if you don't do if you do A and B but not C and D, then the penalty is such and such. Okay, and the client can decide what to do. I see. So, so she could this Kelly Sorrell who's going to come up on charges, and I, you know, I have to say, I was a little bit snobby when I saw where she'd been to law school, some city college somewhere, and then I thought, wait a minute. Stuart Rhodes went to Yale, just as you pointed out. There's no, it, apparently, it doesn't matter where you go to law school, you can miss the basic point, I guess. Exactly. You, yeah. you, could, you could be sick that day. You could be sick that day. Yeah. The- so she, she, went to Oklahoma, she went to the Oklahoma City School of Law, which is, they have some very fine teachers, some very fine scholars at that law school, in fact. Oh, uh, good to know, because I had never heard of it, and so I just thought, I don't know. Maybe this is like Joe's fly-by-night law school. I I don't know. No, 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 no. No, I would say you know for Chicago for your Chicago listeners, let's say compare it to John Marshall, a perfectly respectable local law school. Ah, good. Guy. Well, actually, I believe John John Marshall is now, if I remember correctly, part of University of Illinois at Chicago. They have combined forces, which is 
well overdue if that's the one that combined. We were we needed a law school at this campus for the U of I. So good on us anyway. Right. Um, but that's, that's the equivalent, the equivalent of where she went. Yes. No yes. Yes. You, know, yes. you could have good ones coming out of great schools. You could have bad ones coming out of great schools. Got it. And vice versa. So Got it. Not an issue. I would just, if, as long as you'll permit me to advertise, we've given the country the vice president of the United States. Thank you very much. You're welcome very much. She's our graduate. Okay, She's then. She's our graduate. Okay, and you're and you probably taught her. I'm guessing. I did. There you go. See, I did. and she and she wasn't sick. And she wasn't sick that day. You do sort of wonder how these people with their law degrees manage to get through these law schools and just have no grip at all. But back to back to the Kelly Sorrell and what they're going to charge her with, and the Stuart Rhodes thing, and the alleging that. So so if Kelly Sorrell says. Um, I, my legal advice was that we really needed to take back our country and you should fight as hard as you can, but you shouldn't do A, B, C, or D. That, that would be legit attorney client privilege, even if he went ahead then and did A, B, C, or D. Well, it, I mean, the privilege would be whether that document, let's say there was a lawyer, a lawyer's letter, right? Would that be admissible in court. That's what the privilege issue comes up there, is is a document, is a communication admissible as evidence in court. Now, the separate issue, which is, could you get uh, off on a charge by saying, I was advised by my lawyer to do, if I did A, B, and C, I would be okay. Sometimes that helps you, and certainly it sometimes can help with something like, let's say, again, let's come back to the tax example, uh, to avoid uh, additional punitive uh, damages. Uh, you know, you, you structured a deal, and the lawyer advised you to do it, and the IRS said, no, 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 that won't work. You'll have to pay the avoided taxes. You'll have to pay interest, but you may well not have to pay any additional penalty because you were following good faith. Ah, well, I'm guessing, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say Stuart Rhodes is doing this, but if I were Stuart Rhodes, I'd be looking for some letterhead from Kelly Sorrell's law firm right now and typing as fast as I can. Hold hold on. Well, they were trying to do some of that, yep. Oh, oh, I think I missed that. So I want to hear all about that, the backdating, allegedly, allegedly, of the letters. More of this in a moment. Attorney-client privilege, the Stuart Rhodes conviction, and the future trial of the Possibly um, involved, personally very involved, attorney Kelly Sorrell. All that in a moment on WCPT, where, believe it or not, unlike uh, for Stuart Rhodes, facts matter. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tori Ryder, in for Joan today and tomorrow. And with us now is University of California Hastings Law School professor David Levine. We are talking about the Stuart Rhodes conviction and the strange and erotic relationship that we now know that he had via sext anyway uh, with his was she his attorney at the time? Wasn't she his attorney at the time? Unclear. Um, and so 
I was going to ask you some more questions. Something else just came into my head, David, during the break and made, knocked everything else just completely sideways. Did you know that she she raised money for their defense at a, one of these conservative Christian GoFundMe type sites? Did you know that? Oh, I think I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's been very active uh, in supporting the enterprise. And, and after the insurrection, uh, there may have been some work that she did that would legitimately be uh, work as an attorney uh, for some of these groups. So I think what we were talking about before had to do with her planning her participation prior to January 6th. I see. Uh, and what was her status then? But I do think at least some of her work, she worked for lawyers for Trump and for some other groups. Uh, it would be straight up legal work. Does it does it change anything if you're raising money to essentially pay yourself as the lawyer, which essentially would have been what she'd be doing if she's. Well, she could say, I mean, it wouldn't change her status as the lawyer. It would I guess an issue would be was she paying taxes on it properly? Ooh. Uh, but I think say, uh, I mean, raising money, you know, a defense fund for somebody. Uh, that's done all the time. So I don't see that as being a problem in and of itself. Mm-hmm. What if, okay, this is this is just me launching into strange speculation, because after all, when you have your client, a lawyer, asking if you can stop by to perform in the horizontal, not legal work, and the lawyer thinking that this sounds very tempting, not legal work, um, w- would it be possible... I, I, for Stuart Rhodes to then turn around and function as Kelly Sorrell's lawyer? Uh, well, I don't know if he's a member of the bar anywhere at this point, so that might be a problem. Mm. I just don't know the answer uh, to that. But, I mean, theori- theoretically, sure. I mean, it's suspicious, obviously, because of the sex thing. Like, what was their relationship? But uh, it, it could be possible that one is providing legal advice to the other, and then vice versa. Um, it it then would get into the question of, well, was it really good faith advice? Was this you know was this advice that anybody should have taken? I mean, just because the words come out of a lawyer's mouth uh, doesn't mean that it is an accurate reflection of the law and that it would protect you in any way. Uh, you would be amazed how many people, David. You would be amazed how many people don't get that. Like if it comes out of a doctor's mouth, they assume it's great medical advice. If it comes out of a lawyer's mouth, they assume it's great legal advice. In general, I have found that many people do not seem to be able to distinguish good advice from advice that has as much value as the gravel at the bottom of your guppy tank. There, There is... There is a lot of, of, well, I said it must be true. I guess I'll do it. And I, I, it's weird to think that anybody would take the advice of Kelly Sorrell at this point. And it's even weirder to think that somebody might take Stuart Rhodes' advice at this point. But there's a whole internet full of people that you and I probably stay far away from who think both of them are geniuses and are still sending them money. So I, I, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're more hopeful. Pardon? There's, there's a, I mean, you no, know, there's obviously a lot of them out there. I mean, again, if you go the circle of people around January 6th, John Eastman, a man who was a professor at a law school in Southern California. Yes. Uh, who helped plan the crazy, 
the craziness around what Mike Pence was supposed to do. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, the former United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, the former mayor of New York City. Would you take his legal advice these days? Oh, my God. I I mean, I... I might take his legal advice at seven in the morning before he's had a few, but that'd be the only way. (laughs) Come and get me, Rudy. Come and get me. Sorry. Go ahead. Right. Don't go beyond 730 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. If you could wake him up, give him a breathalyzer and, you know, depending on where he clocked in. I mean, at this point, I'm I'm now going to show my Midwestern roots. Bless his little heart. Um, I think he's probably just. In my opinion, from what I've seen, I think he's soused all the time. But I could be wrong. There could be a few minutes in there where he can remember some legal training. It's possible. Eastman was the most shocking. How often does this happen that um, judges decide that what is supposedly a, an attorney-client relationship isn't really? Is, is this as weird as it seems to me or or? And to other people listening, or is this not really unusual for people to say, no, this is not attorney-client privileged information? What what happens more often, I would say, is the question of whether it was conveyed in a way that led to waiver. The most obvious example is if, let's say... um, Let's say I was giving you legal advice. You know, I'm not licensed in Illinois, but I'm licensed in California. And say I was giving you legal advice about something uh, going on in, in California. You had some interest here. If we did this on the radio right now, it would not be – there would be a waiver of the attorney-client privilege. So if I advised you to, about something and you told me something in confidence – yeah, in confidence here on the radio. Yes. Right. But so many people listening in. Right. right? Or then you would have waived the privilege or, uh, you know, you, you speak of the rule of don't talk on the MTA. Don't talk on BART uh, with a client because you could be deemed to have waived the privilege because people who are not entitled to ah, privilege. Interesting. That happens more often. Okay, so I'm going to extrapolate. I'm, I'm going to extrapolate. If Stuart Rhodes' invitation to Kelly Sorrell to stop by his hotel room and remove her clothing or perhaps leave some of it on and engage in a personal relationship uh, with him that involves bodily functions, and she had said yes, and then in the course of this private meeting with very little clothing on in a hotel, if she'd given him advice, in that meeting? Would that be protected? No, that could be protected. No, no, I would disagree with you. That could I'm be just, I asked. I don't know. I'm not arguing. I'm just asking. You know, instead, instead of, uh, can I have a cigarette now? Can I have some tax advice now? That could be privilege. Okay. But if instead, if instead the text uh, of legal advice went to, let's say, the entire group of Oath Keepers, oh. right? not just Stuart Rhodes, but everybody, then there would be waiver. And so that one of the ways okay. these days there's, there is commonly a waiver of privilege is you put too many CCs on your email. No kidding. You send it to people, you send it to people who, who don't enjoy privilege. Um, oh. Stuart got into trouble on one of these where when she was, remember when she was under indictment? Oh, yeah, yeah, vaguely, vaguely, vaguely. So if you do, um, and I'm guessing Zoom may be a whole other area to explore. 
But let me let me put Steve on with you. We've got a gentleman with a, a question for you. Um, Steve, welcome. You're joining David Levine and me on WCPT. Hi. Yes, thank you for taking my call. And it, it reminds me of, I believe it was Bruce Cutler, who was uh, the attorney for John Gotti and was actually barred from representing him at one point by the courts because he was deemed to be too intimately involved in that organized crime endeavor, that conspiracy, such that he was no longer functioning as an attorney. So um, I remember that being the case. So I think that, you know, that this is on, in some ways on a par with that. And I, I, the reason I actually called in was uh, to, uh, to discuss this, uh, this whole question about where people are getting their information from. Uh, for people in, in the scholarly community, I have colleagues who have been studying this for over a decade. We are in the West experiencing an epistemological crisis. How and where you get your information from matters. And, and when we cease to recognize that it matters, then that's how you get a Donald Trump. That's how you get crazy conspiracy theories about election fraud, about COVID, about all sorts of other things. Okay, so, so if, you, if you get your legal information from Kelly Sorrell, presumably you're saying that, that that's also a, a fairly bad bet, if I understand you correctly. She's right up there with YouTube. Is that right? If you have a camera, if you have a camera and, and you can go ahead and open up a YouTube account, you can become the world's foremost authority on everything. That's right. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. It's um, good, good to hear from you. Um, yes. If you have a camera, I, can't, I have a friend, David. We're going to go a little bit off, off the message again for a change. I have a friend who constantly sends me what he claims are convincing news articles from places where if you go to the place, you're like, oh, no, 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 please. No one should be reading this stuff. So, yeah, that that's a good point. David, when you teach your students, do you have like general overview advice for attorney-client privilege? Like don't sext your client or any you know general advice like that for the moment we have left? Well, you in, in evidence class, you certainly talk about waiver of privilege. No question of that. And then the other issue that comes up is the, the ethical issue of having a relation, a sexual relationship with a client. That can really be fraught, whether it's a therapist with a client or a, or a lawyer with a client or a doctor. And basically, it's a no-no to yeah. do that. It's not, it's not, you're not well advised to do that ever. Even if the client comes on to you, which it sounds very much like Stuart Rhodes, based on the sexts that I read, he he was the inviter and his attorney was the invitee, it appears. Then go enjoy yourselves, but find yourself another lawyer. <laughs> that is great advice. I like that advice. David, thank you so much for spending time with us on WCPT. Pleasure. We'll do it again. I hope to see you uh, absolutely anytime you like. I just love David Levine. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to say goodbye. I'm just not pushing any more buttons today, Lady B. I'm just not. You're going to push because I push buttons and I guess I'm, I'm like those superheroes that are when they're kids and they don't know they have a superpower. I push a button. Pieces of equipment in the studio just fly. Who is that superhero who who had found out he had superpowers by mistake? You know, he things would just fall down, explode. I'm not big on superheroes. Someone will clue me in. I know you will. You can text me, by the way, and I will share your texts with the world if you would like, or just with me if you would like. Um, and the number here is the same as the number to call in, 773 763 
WCPT. And if you're very modern and you have one of those phones without letters on it, that's 773-763-9278. We are WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. And the year on a hiring note. Indeed's end-to-end hiring solution makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates. Sponsor a job and instantly receive a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Oh, it is the Joan Esposito Show, and I am Tori with you, rider like the truck, in for Joan today and tomorrow. Thanks so much for being with me. Don't forget, an hour from now, a double helping of Patty Vasquez. That's right. Patty has twice the time, which means you will have twice the good time listening to Patty. She's always, you know, here's the thing about listening to Patty for two hours instead of one. If you're traveling, you get to have her with you in route and then when you get home if that's your commute you get to have her with you while you prepare dinner or do whatever else you're going to do and so by the time you sit down for your evening whatever that involves you will have been entertained and fully informed and you'll have had a good time so you want two hours of patty and you will get them starting about an hour from now speaking of things we may or may not have wanted but have definitely gotten did you notice that um, Elon Musk's SpaceX Dragon spacecraft has shown up in Chicago? Did you know that? It's been donated. Been donated to the Museum of Science and Industry. They just unveiled it, I believe, today, yesterday. They they are welcoming. They're welcoming the SpaceX Dragon spacecraft. Can you say tax deduction? No, I know. I don't know. I'm not. I should have asked David because uh, my friend David, the the constitutional lawyer, maybe one of you can tell me if if I'm Elon Musk and I'm looking for a tax deduction, can I donate my old rocket ship to the Museum of Science and Industry? And if so, how much can I get back for that? Because frankly, this is a terrible thing to admit, but I've lost all faith. I'm not the first person to say this. I'm not. I've lost all faith in Elon Musk. I I had been saving my pennies in hopes that one day I could afford a Tesla. Pennies that would have accumulated in about thirty years from now, maybe I could have bought myself a Tesla. But um, he's just there's just nothing this guy does that seems to to. It's okay. Let me put it this way: Do, Are you familiar with a kaleidoscope, where it's like a million different pieces of glass and a bunch of mirrors, and you see one image, and then you turn it just a little bit, and the whole thing moves, and it's completely different? That's kind of like what Elon Musk is to me now. I look at him, and he's a titan of industry. He's cutting edge developer of electric vehicles. He's revolutionized that industry. He's flying private missions to space, and oh, look at. This now he's tweeting Pepe the Frog. It it just none of it makes any sense. Except I'm convinced that he's getting a tax deduction for donating his old spaceship. Now I don't have any way of knowing whether that's true. I just found out about it today, so I haven't had a chance to call over to the museum and say, hey, if I donate my old SpaceX rocket, do I get a break from the government? But it's there. And here's the other thing. 
the um, the Museum of Science and Industry that used to be free and now is, I believe, the most expensive museum ticket in town or close to it. It's it's a uh, it's a great museum, and I guess. They should have charged something because it was becoming the de facto child babysitting service for the entire city of Chicago there for a while. And it was getting nuts. But um, I don't I don't I don't want to reward Elon Musk by going to see his SpaceX rocket. I don't I don't want it's not fair. You know, it's a science thing. I shouldn't hold it against him personally just because he paid for it. But there's part of me that says, okay, now I don't get to buy his car and I don't get to look at his display in the museum either. And he's so ubiquitous. You have to give up your social network on Twitter. By the time Elon Musk is through buying things, donating things, spending on things, I'm going to just have to sit on my, in my kitchen closet all day long. There'll be nothing left for me to do. Elon Musk is going to be kind of the human Amazon There'll be nothing that you can do to avoid it. It'll be like that. So I thought I would ask if you are excited that the Dragon Space Shuttle is coming to. Um, will you be going to see it? Could you use it as a teachable moment for your kids? Sweetheart, this rocket was launched into space by one of the more complex human beings Ever to grace our shores. He names his kid after a Bitcoin. I don't know that he named his kid after a Bitcoin. That could be a total lie. And he he revolutionized the electric car industry. And he somehow managed to sneak away from numerous videos showing that when they were short of parts, they were going down to Home Depot and sticking stuff in there with duct tape, allegedly. If the YouTube videos are to be be believed, and he somehow managed to escape the ultimate fallout from certain autopilot features that seemed on the surface, we don't know that they were true. We have no idea. Could have just been YouTube, but certain car magazines managed to obtain video that purported to show certain vehicles just randomly speeding up and causing massive destruction and yet and yet he persevered didn't seem to have harmed anything there's a giant hole in the middle of the Arizona desert that nobody's quite sure what is happening with it i have to say though by the way he's he he's like, got a 50% passing grade on naming stuff. Dragon, good name for a space shuttle. Tesla, fine name for a car. Boring company, not such a good name. Can you imagine having that on your work jacket? You know, you work for for the gas company and or you work for an oil delivery service, you work for a plumber, you get your name on the work shirt, the jacket. Imagine having to wear the company shirt that says boring right on it. I don't think you would want to be going around shopping with that on. Unless everybody in your town also worked for boring and then you're a whole boring town. Which is sort of what you get in the middle of the California desert. So I just wondered, you know, if you what what you would if you took your kids or grandkids to see the SpaceX shuttle. 
now, today. It opens up. The dragon is on display. It's a teachable moment. You can bring young people to the museum, show them this rocket ship. What do you tell them about Elon Musk? How do you explain him to little people? I'm just curious because I don't know how to explain Elon Musk even to adults. Also, I still have not. I think I may be the only person. I spoke about this in the first hour of the show today. I may be the only person who's not unhappy about the flame out of the Bitcoin of the uh, FT. What is it? FTT, FTX, Blankman Freed's um, cryptocurrency exchange. But I'm just curious. It's too bad Thanksgiving's over because that might have made some interesting Thanksgiving conversation around the table. The Bitcoin bros versus the rest of the family that just never got it and never bought any. And if you were sitting there right now with the turkey in the middle of the table, would you even need gravy for your turkey? Or would the gravy for your turkey being that you finally got to look that person who's been talking to you incessantly about how you should get into crypto, you should get into crypto, and now you can look at that person across the table and you can say, <laughs> how's your crypto investment going, Uncle Frank? I swear this is true. I watched the uh, the big interview that the New York Times deal book did with Sam Bankman Fried yesterday, and some of it just makes your eyes glaze over. It's financial jargon that you have no idea what they're. But yet there were these moments, these beautiful, beautiful moments. There was a moment where Aaron Ross Sorkin, who was conducting the interview in front of a big live audience, and by the way, if you're wondering where Blank Bankman Fried is, the Bahamas. He did, by the way, ask about, he was asked about that. We'll get to that in a minute. He said, well, I'll tell you right now. He said he assumes he could leave if he wanted to. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Maybe. That will be interesting. And Ross Sorkin didn't ask the next logical question that I would have asked, which would be, well, do you want to? Because... The banking um, regulators of the Bahamas, and yes, they do have some, apparently have sequestered some of his crypto. Unclear why. Anyway, so Ross Sorkin's reading this letter, and we're all supposed to feel terrible. This letter is from an investor. I took my entire life savings and invested them with FTT. Ask Mr. Bankman Freed how he feels about that. I don't know how Bankman Freed feels about that, but I just thought, how were you ever smart enough to, to accumulate any life savings at all? What, you know, where's the part about sometimes you get what you, you know, if you, Okay, this is really mean. I am accused sometimes of being mean, but I'm going to say it. If you're that stupid, seriously, you took your life savings. I once sat at a dinner table with a couple who are friends of mine, and she was working for a tech company that was super, super hot. And one of their guests said that he had emptied out his entire retirement fund and invested it in this super hot tech stock. And we left there and I said to the spousal unit, who does that? Who does that? 
I mean, you might as well just empty out your whole bank account, take it to Las Vegas, and and stick it on one roll of dice on some roulette wheel. Who does that? So here's Bankman Freed. He's going, I'm I'm very sorry. I, I feel really, really bad. And I'm thinking, you can't. You can't say that with a straight face. You can't. He's looking down under his little mop of hair, and I'm thinking, you really cannot feel that bad. There's got to be part of you that, if you were tweeting privately, would just be going, ah, ha, 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 ha. three screens of, ah, ha, ha, ha. that's what you would do. Of course you would. WCPT, we're Chicago's progressive talk. Tom Hartman. Are you surprised by this, that the law and order party that has been spewing this for 60 years now is now threatening riots? Lindsey Graham on Fox News came right out and said, if Donald Trump is prosecuted, there will be riots in the streets. He literally used the word riots. I'm not, he, he didn't say demonstrations. He didn't say protests. He didn't say people will be holding signs. He said riots. Right. The Tom Hartman Radio Program, weekdays 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on WCPT 820. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We are the Joan Esposito Show. I'm not Joan personally. I think Joan would probably like to stay a couple rooms away from me right now because she's nice and I'm not. And we're talking a little bit on Joan Esposito Show about Elon Musk, who just donated his used rocket to uh, the Museum of Science and Industry. And just coincidentally, on that very same day, another worker dispute and an unfair labor complaint filed against the company by a former engineer Age discrimination complaint in the state of Washington. He alleged he was repeatedly passed up for opportunities in favor of younger, less experienced colleagues and retaliated against when he filed complaints with human resources. He is a former principal optics manufacturing engineer. He was hired at 58. So... No, I'm not saying that's the only news that would occupy Elon Musk. I'm not saying he would even read that news or care. I just think nobody read that news yesterday because here in Chicago, we were busy looking at the used rocket. By the way, this entertained me. Apparently, drivers of Teslas are being harassed by Musk haters. Mm. (laughs) Uh-huh. That's right. Um, this is from The Guardian. U.S. owners say they've been on the receiving end of road rage, and they believe it has something to do with Elon Musk. I'm, wouldn't, I, would, I have no data to support or deny that, but usually the first tip-off that somebody's mad at you because of your car involves keys and a parking lot. That, that's one way people express. Usually if you take too many parking, like one and a half parking spaces. I will say this about Teslas, though. We have one that lives on our block. We live in the city. And I've, I've about dropped my bags of groceries at least three times because the Tesla spies on you. 
Like if you walk close, you can't. You know, you have to get across the street and up onto the sidewalk. And if you come close to the Tesla that lives on my block, it it whistles at you. You come. You got your bag of groceries. You got your purse. Maybe you're trying to hang on to your mittens or your gloves and your cup of coffee and your driving mug. And you you try to get around. And of course, the Tesla driver allows extra room between herself and the cars around her because she's got a fancy car. So she's taking a space and a little bit. But that usually gives you room to get across the street and up to the curb. But the minute you try it, the car goes. Twice now, I've about had a small heart attack with my groceries and my purse and my car and my my car keys and my coffee and just crossing that. <laughs> doesn't matter if you're in front of it. I tried it behind. I thought, okay, well, fine. It doesn't want me walking in front of it. It feels proprietary about all of this parking space. I'll walk behind it. Guess what happened? <laughs> I I um. I didn't touch it. I didn't. I didn't touch it. And I wonder if it's taking my picture of me, like, flinging my coffee in the air in shock and horror. What's it doing with the optical optical relay of me trying to cross the street? Is it saving it and sending my picture to CPD? What's it doing with my image? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Maybe... The Tesla that lives on my block is some kind of spying plant that's, I mean, not like a plant like grows. I mean, like planted there to spy on the block. I don't know if you're familiar, but the city of Chicago initially tried to get homeowners to put in security cameras that linked the images right to Chicago police. And the the citizens of Chicago said, no, thank you. We do not wish the picture of our boyfriend or girlfriend or the person delivering our Amazon box to be immediately sent to CPD. So Mayor Lightfoot in consort with her advisors, revised this plan so you get to keep your own pictures. They bought us our cameras with our COVID money. And I, by the way, I succumbed. I did get the three cameras as long as I knew I could keep all the images. Why? Because we had a shooting three doors this way and another shooting with a death three doors that way. And I thought, okay, if somebody is shot to death in front of my house and the police come and they say we'd like your and I would do that. I would. I truly would. I would give them the picture then. But I didn't, and nobody wanted particularly to be connected instantly with Chicago's finest. Even if we love them, we just, you know, who comes to your door is kind of your private business, right? But I'm wondering about the Tesla that lives on my block. I'm wondering. Because those things are not cheap. And if somebody said, hey, we'll cut your car payment in half if... Every time your car goes to someone, it makes them throw their drink and their groceries and their purse halfway down the block out of shock and fear. If you could send us that picture, please. I'm not sure. People might go for it. They might truly, truly go for it. I don't know. Um, and this all this story about people like road raging against Teslas. This is following up on Alyssa Milano, who returned her Tesla and said she was getting a VW, and then she caught all kinds of flack from the right about how VW was originally owned by Nazis, which is actually true. But they also gave massive reparations and have worn a hair shirt and done massive mea culpas. So they're they're kind of they've made their peace with it. 
they have they have come clean about their past and done their best. So, but it was a great hook for the right to go after Alyssa Milano. It was a great opportunity for them to do that, and so they did. Um, but again, you know that teachable moment, the teachable moment when you go to the museum and you're confronted with Elon Musk's giant projectile. SpaceX, sorry, SpaceX's giant projectile. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. What do you say? So Axios reported that there's no official data to prove that Tesla drivers get more hate. But um, a report in August found that Iowa's, quote, Tesla drivers are routinely heckled, cut off in traffic and blocked from charging stations, close quote. And according to unofficial, non-scientific, anecdotal reports, it's gotten worse in light of the Twitter acquisition. If you're the brand, babe, if it's your brand and you're the brand and you're the face, then people who buy your product, you know, it works in reverse. It's the same way people buy sneakers from sports heroes. You become associated with the brand. People feel like a little of your good athletic star juju wears off on them when they buy your product. Everybody understands that. So what happens if um, if you're hated? <laughs> what happens to the people who bought your product before you were quite as hated as you are right now? What happens to them then? Let me ask you this. Would you be driving a Tesla around Iowa right now? Would you park your Tesla on my block in Chicago? Would you park your Tesla in, I don't know, Arlington Heights? Where do you think you'd get the most hate? DuPage County, maybe? Will County? I don't know. It's hard to say, isn't it? Hard to guess. But I, at one point, you know, you had bragging rights with the Tesla. You bought a Tesla, you felt great. Now you buy a Tesla, I don't know. The people who bought uh, Bankman Freed's stock still feel worse than you do. I suppose you can feel good about that. Mike in Chicago, welcome to WCPT. Hi. Hello. Mike. Is he? Did I hit a, another wrong button? Oh, okay. Well, uh, there you are. Hello. Oh, she gave me the name Mike. I'm sorry. I gave another name. But, um, well, if you were looking for teachable moments with regard to Elon Musk donating his vanity show, Museum of Science and Industry, a uh, couple things I wanted to uh, bring up. One, uh, I probably would, in the case of bringing a little person there, focus on the engineering achievement of the shuttle itself, not making a personality thing about Elon Musk. I mean, rich people over history have always had vanity projects where people with actual knowledge and talent have produced things that they pay for. So I might just look at the shuttle itself, trying to point out technically what can be done, uh, I encourage their sense of wonder at what people can do when they work together, you know? No, okay. Well, you're a better human being than I am is what I have to say about that. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. 
He's a better human being. I'm not such a good human being. In a moment, a very fine human being who writes a very fine online newsletter, Eric Zorn, will be joining us to take apart the news in moments on WCPT, um, the Joan Esposito Show. I need to remind you again, she will be back on Monday. This is where facts matter. Tune into the Tom Hartman Radio Program, your home for news, opinion, and insight, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Joan Esposito's show. I am Turi. That's T-U-R-I, writer like the truck, filling in for Joan today and tomorrow, and she'll be back on Monday. Patty Vasquez in just after five with two hours now of driving it home. So that should make you happy. What made me ecstatic today was when I found out that I got to keep all to myself. Joan Esposito's favorite. Well, I think she would. I would be my favorite co-conspirator on the show. Um, Eric Zorn. He's a wonderful writer. He's been one of my favorite writers for the Tribune for years. He has his own um what do you refer to it as, Eric? A newsletter, a broadsheet, a column, the Picayune Sentinel, is it? Yes, that's yes. exactly right. Yeah. No, it's it's not a it's not a broadsheet. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a newsletter, but a newsletter. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, a Substack newsletter. It goes out uh, twice a week, and uh, I, I took it up. I took a few months off when I left the Tribune in June of last year. Just to uh, get my bearings and figure out what I wanted to do, and I just I wanted to stay in the game. I and I, I loved what I was doing at the Tribune, and I love doing this even more. Uh, and just you know, I have a lot of great interactions with readers, and I can write about whatever the heck I want to, and at whatever length I want to. No messy and, editors, nobody. Well, actually, I do. I do. I do actually have a, an, an editor that uh, goes over and tries to get rid of all my typos and everything. Oh, like that. that. Copy editor. I'm not counting copy editor. I'm well, and I also my 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 patient wife does read over everything to make sure that I don't make a fool of myself. Well, I know she's pretty really sharp. Sincere. Yeah, she's good. I I I know her work. She's good. So yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you were listening earlier, but Elon Musk donated his rocket to the city. So we were talking about that. But you had a very interesting piece in your newsletter today about a a clever ruse by a faux kindergarten teacher to troll the right because she can could you could you speak to that but i thought it was yeah, hilarious I just, I just love this it, it's uh, katie martin and she's a phd student in mit's department of linguistics and she tweeted this out i'll just i'll read the whole thing it's pretty short yeah, read the no read the whole twitter stream because it's yeah, hilarious no, uh, i love it well, <laughs> it's, the stream is even better so it says, i'm a kindergarten teacher and every day i make my students choose new pronouns and when they recite the pledge of allegiance they have to say pride flag instead of flag of the united states of america and gay instead Instead of God, <laughs> he tweets this out and uh, is inundated with uh, expressions of desire for her demise, uh, all kinds of just horrible things from the right, thinking that she actually is 
a kindergarten teacher doing these are things. To find out. Yes, they're trying to find out where she works. They want to get her fired. They want they, they want to get her in jail. And uh, of course, meanwhile, a bunch of other people, uh, you know, meanwhile, there were a, a number of people on the on the left who got the joke and they were adding to her thread. And I want to read some of those. Those are great too. I am also a kindergarten teacher, and I have my students say thank you, Joe Biden, every time they answer a question correctly. <laughs> and each student gets a gold star before the end of the class just for showing up. Someone else wrote, I started giving cookies to the kids who identify as trans, and now most of them do. I make cis whites go last for everything as reparations. Next one says, I'm a school nurse, and after lunch, I get them set up with hormones and surgery. (laughs) Next one says, I'm also a kindergarten teacher, and every morning I make my students recite the lyrics to Madonna's Vogue and catwalk in high heels while I have margaritas with my husband's brother. And if Those, a kid are says Merry, Those are good. If a, kid says, if a kid says Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays, I pelt them with unsharpened pencils. And the last one, which is my favorite one, is I'm a kindergarten teacher, too, but I'm not working this year because I've lined up various drag queens to substitute for me each week and teach the kids how to twerk. They promise to clean the classroom litter boxes, which, which as you as you probably remember, is, is an allusion to this wild rumor on the on the right that uh, students were identifying as cats in schools and that and the teachers were. Oh no, I missed that. I thought it had something oh. to do with the hygiene of of, uh, of drag queens that they were implying. No, this is this is this is an even deeper cut than that. Oh they, wow! They just decided that that uh, that uh, yeah, there was this whole thing where where. It was like kind of a joke that people are, are identifying as cats. Yes. And so people on the right took it seriously and saying that teachers are allowing their students to identify as cats and they and they use litter boxes instead of instead of the bathroom. And, and uh, it was totally absurd, but it was catching some, some traction on the right. And so this is an allusion to that. I have and some I just, friends who've gone down the rabbit hole who send me this equivalent for various and sundry news and uh, COVID-related stories, these kinds of things. Right. So if you were going to Respond and continue the thread as a kindergarten teacher. What would you say you were having your class do? Oh my goodness! I'm getting you know probably uh, you know, pledge allegiance to uh, to Karl Marx and Che Guevara and uh, and I don't know. I mean, they, they, I think these people really did. They did such a such a great job. I, I thought about it. I thought every day. Um, every day, well, I have managed. I am a kindergarten teacher. And I have arranged for the school library to have um, penthouse and uh, vintage editions of Al What's-His-Name's Screw Magazine added to our school library, which I encourage students to check out on library day. And then in art class, make their own renditions of the models and poses suggested. <laughs> the joy of sex, yeah. Masturbation instruction for uh, kids who are in sixth grade and, and below. Very important. Uh, yeah, no, it's, Very important. It's, uh, yes. It's, uh, yeah, of course, again, I think I think uh, that vein, I am the school librarian. Uh, yes. I, I did not see, I bet those were... Uh, oh, the school librarian, that would be my hook. I would start with, I am the school librarian. Of it, and, and whenever the kindergarten class comes in, I've replaced all the copies of Paddington Bear with penthouse and various other yes and the victoria's secret catalog for the for the pre-k yes the, uh, the, somebody on the right just had just uh, tweeted okay groomer 
to the uh, to this one's uh, to this one's tweet. So I just I love stories like this, and they're like little you know online dust ups, but uh, but I think they're so revealing, and they're the kind of stories that you're just not going to see covered in your in your daily newspaper. No, alas. And, um, so I. I Stumbled on this tweet and followed it. Uh, it followed it some, and uh, well, that's I'm a feature. Sure. You have a tweet tweet of the week, right? That's one of your features on on the I, and Sentinel. I have, a, I have a contest every week. I, fig- I find the uh, the best tweets that I can find as I scroll through Twitter, and then I, I give ten of them to readers and let them choose which one they they like the best, which ones they like, and then I declare a winner every week. And that's yeah, just it's, I've been doing that since 2014. So it's it's been going back way, way back to my Tribune days, which is why you you were able week. to point out to me my Twitter handle is difficult to find, which never occurred to me because I've had it for so long. Nobody ever said that. Tory writer was hard to find because it's one well, word. Your handle, your handle is easy to find. Everybody's handle is one word, but but you have your name squunched together. So when I searched for Tory, it didn't come up, and then I searched for Tory writer, didn't come up because it was looking for one of those words separately. So I'm going to have to do something words. about that. I think I'm going to have to buy a buy a dot. You do tech support. I'll, I'll do tech support for you. You can call me and I'll Okay, I'll I will do that. I will do that after the show today. You also had, I'm trying to remember, what was the other story? I can't bring it up here in the studio that, that I liked so much and was raving to you about. What was it? Well, there was a story about the uh, corner of Mastodon, Jurna.host. Oh, uh, yes, the a, politically correct running amok. Amok, I tell yes. you. Yes. yes. Explain a, this was, to people. Well, okay. So, uh, um, Oh, you know There's what? A... Hold hold that thought because yeah, I just realized where we are and 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 so we will talk about the insane overzealous political correctness that has taken hold apparently of journalism on the left in just a moment. It's Joan Esposito's show. I'm Tory Ryder. This is WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Now, Joan would never be this progressive. I'm Tory Ryder in for Joan, by the way, on WCPT, being joined by the estimable Eric Zorn, of whose work I have been a fan for many, many, many many years. Um, and he publishes the Picayune Sentinel online. And uh, we were going to talk about it. I, I, do we dare call it overwoke? Is that what we might call it? A problem on the, on the left here with, I believe you described them as eating their own. Eating their own. Yeah. You know, I, I, I tend to stay away from the word woke just because it's been so weaponized mm-hmm. that it, it loses some of its meaning. But okay. Yeah, I'll let you describe it the way you want. But anyway, there's this corner of the Mastodon social media site, which is where people from Twitter are going as they flee Twitter. But not uh, fast enough. Not fast enough. Yes. It's for journalists, and it's run by Adam Davidson. He used to be at WBEZ in Chicago, and he's at the New Yorker and the New York Times. He's a, he's a pretty well-regarded uh, journalist. And on November 18th, Mike Pesca, who is a, the host of a daily podcast called The Gist, uh, he posted a link to, to a New York Times story about health concerns associated with puberty-blocking drugs. There was a long story in the Times. About, I read it, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, he wrote, this seems like careful and thorough reporting. And then... But hold, the hold up a just, minute. For people yep, who, didn't, yep. who didn't read it, it was essentially an investigation of 
whether these hormone interrupters are hazardous in a physical sense to the young people who are requesting them. This isn't surgery. This isn't physical alteration of your body. These are hormone blockers. So if you're a a young trans uh, girl, you may not develop the body hair that you would develop if you went on in in your body of birth and vice versa. And so the conversation wasn't about whether trans is good or bad or worthy of respect or real or fake. It was just, here are these kids. We want to help them. How can we safely help them? And the conversation is, does the hormonal treatment, if there are risks associated with it, we haven't been doing it for that long, is it over overruled by the psychological torment these kids may experience if we just let their bodies develop? Have I, have I put that properly there, Eric? I, I think you have, and, and it's, this is not an issue that I consider myself an expert on. Or that okay, I, I, that's my synopsis. Yes, I think it's. I think it's. I think that. I think that most people uh, would like there to be the, the, the most effective treatment. Obviously, there are people out there who want to deny tr- trans identities, and they and they don't like the idea of trans people, and they want to eliminate them or whatever. I think we're talking about another issue here, which is if you're a parent, if you're a concerned person about about these children, how should they best be treated? And what are the long-term effects of these puberty blockers? Is this the best way to go? And mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's science on both sides of this. Mm-hmm. I, and the article was didn't seem to take a side. It was just looking at the question. Now there are people who think that that the reporting was not good, that they missed some things, that they, you know, what, whatever. I mean, there's a the yes. article was in the New York Times. Yes. So, you, so the New York Times is a is a respectable uh, mainstream. Lo- Publication, yes. And so they link to it. So, so Parker Malloy, who's a Chicago area journalist, she's a, 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 a trans woman, accused Pesca of anti-trans bigotry and, and called him an anti-trans ghoul online, <laughs> and, asked, and asked Adam Davidson, who, who runs this um, corner of Mastodon, to take him down. And? and and they ended up taking him down. And the justification was that that Pesca had referred to to Malloy as an activist. And Malloy doesn't identify as an activist. She identifies as an advocate. Oh, for Pete's sakes. Suck it up, people. Come on. Like, get a... I'm serious. If people... I got... If people refer to me by a title I don't like, I simply inform them of the title that I wish to be... By which I wish to be known. I mean, where, where is the part of this where you have some shred of humility and you don't get on your soapbox and decide that not only do you know best for you. You know best for the entire world of journalism. You know best for the people reading their stuff that they're printing. You're just going to decide what we get to see and not get to see based on your definition of what is acceptable. I have no patience for these people and I think that they should all just go bra shopping and leave the rest of us alone. I I have to say I am am friendly with Mike Pesca. I'm a fan of his podcast. He's a New Yorker. I'm a fan of his podcast. I wasn't talking about him going bra shopping. I'm assuming he does not. No, I, I, I know you weren't, but but uh, and and uh, he is he is a progressive, he's generally progressive guy. Uh, he's a little heterodox, like you are clearly, and like I am occasionally. Um, that he doesn't he doesn't always follow the party line, and he questions things. And his his podcast is very good on that on that level. And so to be banishing someone like Pesca, uh, who's very smart and very reasonable, and as as though he's some sort of 
you know, uh, crap spewing troll or something. It, it's just so depressing. It is. I think the left has to realize that, you know, we want to build a coalition and a coalition is going to have people of, of somewhat different views, not not totally antithetical views, but somewhat different views, somewhat different approaches. But we can all, I hope, those of us in, you know, in the CBT listening audience can agree that, tr- that trans people should be respected, that trans, right, trans people should have all the rights and all the, the prerogatives of, of, uh, of cis people, and, and, and yet still ask some questions about what's the best way to treat youths who identify as trans. What is the best way, the most compassionate way, the most humane way? I mean, those are discussions we should be able to have. There are all kinds of discussions we should be able to have. We should have discussions about if your body developed in one gender and you want to compete in a a sport that is basically dedicated to another gender, how do we manage that so it's fair for everybody? All kinds of conversations to be had. But the minute you say, well, you, you, you can't even talk about that here. At that point, I lose patience with you because who made you god of the trans universe here? Who who appointed you the emperor of all appropriate speech? And what's really annoying is, to me, when these stories come up and why we're talking about it here on Joan's show, where she might, she's way more progressive than I am. I'm, I am not. But I, I at least be courteous and ask a question. Are you aware, you might say to somebody, that I find that, you know, as a trans person, I find this disturbing. Are you aware that that is not the way I refer to myself? The presumption that people mean well seems to have just completely flown away. Well, that's really true. And, and of course, social media, especially Twitter, is a really terrible place to have Arguments about anything, particularly something as, as fraught and complicated as, as this issue, and that's why I have sworn off arguing with people on Twitter. I just pe- people try to will, will disagree with me, and I'm I'm perfectly interested in what people who disagree with me have to say, but I'm not going to fight with them in public on Twitter, where you have 256 characters to make a point, and the way to make a point is to be as edgy and as as uh, uh, confrontational as possible. And I just find that that doesn't that doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't doesn't Nobody wants to come to some sort of resolution. Nobody wants to find middle ground. They just want to stake out one position and then hopefully dogpile the person they think is wrong. So so poisoned our discourse. What about the journalist who took down the quote, close quote, offending post initially? What 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 do we say to him? Do we say, hey, I I thought you wanted to have a conversation here. Why does one person get you to take down? First of all, why do you listen to, to, to this kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, invective hurled at a, at a fellow journalist? And why do you just assume that because that person comes from that group, they are the arbiter of what should be up there about that group? What, what, what do you say to this guy? Well, I mean, you say, first of all, you say that it, linking to a story in the New York Times is not like linking to a story in the Daily Stormer or whatever the white <laughs> pride publication is. Yes. I mean, it, 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 you, have to, you have to develop some perspective. And then if, if, if an article has been researched and published in the New York Times, it may not be perfect. There may be some legitimate problems with it. But let's talk about what those problems are and let's debate. The, the broader issue rather than saying that if you link to this article in the New York Times, you're transphobic. And I, I think that, that when, you're, when you start putting people into categories like that uh, without at deciding to listen to one another, then you, you end up 
I think you end up pushing people away from your general position. Like you feel like like this is not these people are not reasonable. I am not going to be their ally. That is a good and point. What? That that right there, stop right there. That is exactly right. If you run around I remember having a conversation, if if I may pause you and add an anecdote from my story. I don't know if you remember, years ago, there was a woman, Sonia, I forget her last name, I think Johnson. She was a feminist and a member of the Latter-day Saints. And she was leading a conversation at the Michigan Women's Music Festival, where I were, about, this is how long ago it was, about the passage of the EPA, um, the ERA. And there were a group of very... Um, out lesbian. Some of them were very, I don't even know what the politically correct term is at that time. They would have described themselves and did describe themselves as good old fashioned bull dykes. That's what they called themselves. And they were talking about how they could advocate in smaller and Midwestern states for passage of the ERA. And this was right after a bunch of them had shown up in Illinois in Springfield and thrown blood at the downstate legislators. And I listened to this for a while and I put my hand up and I said, you need these people. You can't go around throwing blood at them and then expect them to listen to what you have to say. If you claim that your movement is to empower all women, including, let's say, the underpaid secretary at the YMCA in Omaha, who maybe isn't getting her child support that she's entitled to get and needs an ERA to support her so she's well paid and insured and can collect what's hers. Maybe when you go in there to ask for her support, put take off your leather jacket and put on a costume so you don't so you don't repel people who've never seen anything like you before. Go in there in disguise if you want to think of it that way. Form a bond and a bridge with people instead of just going in there and scaring the bejeepers out of them. Which is, I can tell you exactly the effect that you're having. So this kind of approach has been going on where we're our own worst enemy on the left for sure for a long time. And obviously now with Trump on the right as well. Well, yeah, and it goes against the old adage, which is that politics is about addition, not subtraction. And when you are are trying to like I say, create a coalition, create a movement, you've got to draw people in. And I think the thing that, that gave, I mean, another item that I wrote about today was, was about the passage in, in uh, the passage through Congress of this bill that it's going to uh, put into concrete, legislative concrete, the idea of gay marriage. Now, the Supreme Court has okayed it by five to four uh, back in 2015, but with a new Supreme Court, you never know what they might do. Uh, this law passed in Washington is going to, going to say that, you know, no, gay marriage is now the law of the land. It's not just a constitutional uh, right that's upheld by a narrow majority in the Supreme Court. I, I think that, that the reason that we were able to get to this point as relatively quickly as we did was that there was there were so many people who who saw gay couples who were uh, ordinary normal people who were their their their, their neighbors their yes nephews, absolutely their, and that they weren't they weren't this these these people who were out to uh, you know confront them with their sexuality and, and they just wanted to be normal people and they are normal people and they and they, and they deserved all that respect and and that's really I think how that movement came well, it wasn't about about uh, it was what we call more. in talk radio a personal connection to the topic. Yes, and and so I, I think when you're when you're talking about you know how how are you 
are going to win some of these arguments, win, win people over, it is through identifying with them, showing that you understand them, showing that you respect them, uh, and, that, and that they can be then brought over to your side, or at least not be hostile to your side. It's true. Uh, and, but unfortunately, our politics are, seem to be going the other direction. Well, do you, do, I don't, I'm interrupting yeah. you here a little bit, but because we don't have a lot of time, but I still remember when um, Gore was running and Gavin Newsom at that time was the mayor of um, San Francisco, started going on about gay marriage right before the election. And I agreed with his position on gay marriage, but I honestly thought he cost Al Gore some significant votes. And I was very angry at him for a very long time. But as you point out in your piece, the change has been practically at the speed of light. And exactly as you point out, the coalition has been built out of people being approachable. And if, you know, if your own kid, like Chuck Schumer's daughter, getting married to her wife, if that doesn't make an impression on your heart, nothing will. And when you talk about people like this woman who issued this edict of thou shalt not link against the New York Times, she's not really helping her cause. And the weird part is, I don't think she even knows it. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, a, a tough situation, but uh, anyway, we can just hope that uh, that uh, people get their heads together and get uh, get get right with that. And the they issue. can keep reading your newsletter, which will encourage them. Eric Zorn, thank you so much for being willing to tolerate a substitute host today. I loved being Thanks. with you. So great talking to you, Terry. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Joan will be back on Monday. Just a reminder, Patty Vasquez coming up. I'm Tori Ryder. If you want to talk to me after class, that would be at Tori Ryder on Twitter. And I'm also on Facebook if you want to find me that way. Thanks, Lady B. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mark. It's been a joy.